Welcome to the Latin MedTech Leaders Podcast. This is a weekly conversation with MedTech leaders who have succeeded in Latin America. Today, our guest is Armin Beck. Armin is an entrepreneurial medical device executive with a broad multidisciplinary background. His extensive work with the startup companies has resulted in many successful worldwide product launches. His broad medical device background includes implantable devices, disposables, diagnostic, and biotech products in general. He is a leader and builder of R&D, quality, regulatory, clinical affairs, and operational structures within organizations. Armin is the CEO of Suntrix Consulting, a clinical, regulatory, and quality medical device consulting company. He is also the co-founder and chief operations officer of Vasoflow Medical, a medical device company focused on innovative products for vascular surgery and interventional radiology markets. Armin earned his MBA in economics and his master's degree in engineering, uh, regulatory and quality from a leading university in Germany. Armin is based in Northern California. So, Armin, welcome to our podcast. It's great to have you here today. Thank you so much, Yuri. I'm more than happy to join your podcast. Great. Armin, could you please briefly tell listeners about your journey to Latin America? In other words, how do you get involved with the region? Well, I mean, as you mentioned, I have a significant experience in clinical research. I have conducted many clinical trials worldwide. I have been the principal investigator for uh, several studies, and I have worked worldwide, as include Europe, uh, United States, uh, Asia, Korea, and I'm always looking for a great market um, doing clinical research, what make it easy, what make it uh, inexpensive and accessible for devices. For an example, right now, as you mentioned, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Vesoflow Medical, where we focus on interventional radiology as well as vascular surgery. Um, Compare, I mean, uh, starting uh, clinical trials with this kind of devices in the United States is painful by dealing with the FDA, dealing with uh, IDE approval. Going to Latin America saves me significant time and money to get my clinical data. I'm a person, or we as well, Vasoflow, we are people, we want to have real clinical data. We are not just going ahead, uh, doing a 5, 10 being this uh, Me Too device company who try to get clearance without clinical data. We are really focusing on, we are looking for markets where we can do clinical research, where the regulatory hurdles are not high and where principal investigators willing to do the clinical trial from a research point of view, where they try to help companies and not just um, try to make a huge amount of money. Okay, Armin. Let's talk about your practical experience conducting early-stage clinical research for medical technology companies in Latin America. In what countries have you been involved in clinical trials in Latin America, Armin? Well, there's two different things. I mean, a couple of years ago, I worked actually with the device. I was looking into the uh, clinical trial. This was a blood filter who filter um, bacterial bloodstream infection out of the uh, filter. So when you're looking at the application of the device, it's very difficult to finding patient in the northern area of the United States or northern area of Europe who have this kind of bloodstream infection. 
So I got actually uh, looking uh, worldwide, where can I find my patient population? And one of the best countries actually, or actually there was three countries in Latin America, they was very good where I can find my um, patient population. That's included Colombia, um, that's included uh, Costa Rica, and I have to say that I forgot what the third country was. So for certain devices, it makes a completely sense to look at the region. I know a lot of companies making the mistake. They try to go to fancy universities doing clinical trials, and they run in clinical trials for many years because they cannot find any patient. So it's very important to understand your market and where the patients are. If Another point also what I have seen in Latin America is the patient compliance. Um, patients want to uh, participate in a study and they want to provide um, the necessary commitment to the study. Awesome. Please tell us about your experiences and your recommended best practices for finding a principal investigator in Latin America. Well, I mean... Yes, I do. I remember this. What I try to do, I mean, I do um, uh, research on the internet. I asking CROs, including yourself, about possible um, investigator. And if I find an article about one investigator who have written articles about this, what I typically uh, try to connect with them and I try to meet with them. And then I try to also get from them information what else investigator he would like to have in this study or who should participate in the study. It's sometimes this word to mouth where I talk to one guy and he suggests other couple and then we're building actually this clinical study around this one guy. And this is typically working very well. All right. What about the selection of a CRO, a contract research organization? What can you tell us about it? Um, well, I typically like to have a U.S.-based CRO who has a commitment to this market, who understands the market, and who has also the connection in the market. Sometimes it's difficult, I mean, from a time change or also from a language change, working directly with a local CRO. For me, it's important I can, uh, a meeting with my CRO in a very easy way, <clears throat> communicate with them. It's, it's much easier. Good. What about the study site or project management uh, for a trial in South America or Latin America in general? There's two, two aspects of site management. One is this whole regulatory part where I can hire my site management from the local CRO or from the U.S.-based CRO. They find a person who can manage my site. Then I also see my site management from a business development. For me as a company, I want to uh, manage not just the site and the study. I want to also build a great relationship with the physician because the physician became become my uh, key opinion leaders and this lead in my whole sales and marketing. I mean, you have to have this uh, absolute perfect relationship with your KOL to build a product. So there's two sides. I see the site management how I conduct this. Okay. What about regulatory study approval process? How was the approval process for the trials you got involved with? Well, I say it fast and easy. I need to compare this to other markets. For an example, I mean, the, the, the U.S. market is very difficult. The European market from, is very difficult and is very timely. So what my experience in the Latin market, the approval process was very easy. I think you can typically get approval with less than three months to start your clinical trial. And this is amazing. I mean, I've done a lot of studies in Germany, not because I come 
uh, come from Germany, but from a cultural point of view, if you want to sell in Europe, uh, you always should have a study in in Germany. And it's take, I would say, between 12 and 15 months to get approval to start the clinical trial. And let me back up there a little bit um, why it takes so long, also why I'm looking for a different market. Uh, I would say still about 10 years ago in Germany, you had a central IRB, what was a private organization, and they actually approved your study. And then the German government changed the rules. It's now the government have to approve the study. And as you know, from a government point of view, everything takes forever. Okay. What about shipping and importation of investigation on medical devices? I mean, I had no issue with shipping and importing of importation of devices. I mean, from a custom point of view, you declare everything. It's either the only um, downfall what we're having in uh, tier uh, three countries from the U.S. point of view is the export law. That's when you uh, doing clinical trials with high-risk devices, pretty much class three devices in the United States, you still need uh, um IDE approval here by the United States. And that can be a little bit painful. But from the other point of view, from the pure shipping and importance of the device, there's no issues. Very easy, very straightforward, um, very short. I mean, Latin America is not far from the United States. I mean, it's be done in a couple of days. Okay. The top countries in Latin America have free agreements uh, with the U.S. And shipping and importing devices from the U.S. shouldn't be an issue. Also, you have DHL, FedEx, et cetera, that can ship devices from the U.S. to Latin America in a matter of days. Right. I mean, really, I mean, if you pay a little bit more, it's done in 24 hours. And the other thing, what I always said, I mean, flying from the U.S. to Latin America is no problem. So you can take actually a lot of devices with you on an airplane, what I have done too. That's done in countries uh, where the importation rules are not as strict. In the case of Colombia, that used to be the case when I started working with clinical research in the country. You have direct flights from any major cities in the U.S. to cities in Colombia, like Bogota, Medellin, et cetera. Yeah, and you still can do this. I mean, you still have to do the custom declaration when you're arriving on the airport. Yes, but it's just from how, how simple it is. I mean, depends where you're flying. I mean, it can be painful, but dry, uh, flying to Colombia from the U.S. is really just very easy. Yes, it is. Are there any other areas we haven't mentioned that you think listeners should be aware of? Um, I, I think from a, a broad experience or a broad explanation, I think we have covered everything about uh, conducting clinical trials in Colombia. Um, let me mention you one thing with um, the value of the clinical data. I mean, if you have a, a U.S. site approved site, either in Colombia or wherever you do the study, the data will be accepted. And I know exactly for CE mark, CE mark accept all the data that coming out of Latin America. So from a regulatory approval, there should be no issue using uh, just as your source or a main data of clinical evidence. It, it's important because a lot of uh, companies are afraid uh, if this data can be used for regulatory approval. And this is it's an important thing to understand that, especially for CE mark, they are accepting this data. Very good. Excellent point. So, Armin, from these experiences, what did you learn to do or not to do in reference to clinical research in Latin America? Um, good question. Difficult for me to answer. I mean, there's always little things what you're learning and um, 
what you shouldn't do this, but I cannot really give you a, sp a specific answer to this one. So my experience overall was that all the studies I done there have been run very, very smooth. Well, I was really referring about best practices. What would you recommend people to do uh, to speed up the process of getting a trial approved or selecting an investigator? Things of that nature, you know. Uh, do you have any tips for listeners? No, I, I clearly recommend uh, working with a CRO uh, who knows the market. Again, I see as in the beginning, I mean, the ideal situation is finding a base CRO who has a connection in this market, who has their local authorities dealing with government approval, dealing with the paperwork, dealing with the translation. Um, dealing with the local IRBs from an investigator, I find yes, they can clearly help if they have the market. Otherwise, um, from a company, is also important dealing directly with the investigator. It's more important that the uh, company deals with the principal investigator rather involving the CEO too much in the investigator. On the other hand, the CEO is really important to do the paperwork, to uh, do the site management, and overall do the logistic for the study. All right, Armin. So let's move to the topic of commercialization of medical technologies in Latin America. What's been your experience with that? Well, that that's, uh, comes back to the point what I made about the KOL and the principal investigator. It's very important uh, when you start your study to build this relationship involving them in the sales and marketing, understand uh, the Latin American market, what is important for them, um, developing marketing material. And if you have everything done, I mean, you need to find uh, distributors, what in my opinion in Latin America is a fantastic thing. Most distributors are very committed to this one. I mean, they have connection in many, many other South American um, markets. If you sign agreement with them, you have the right KOL who's supporting your product and you have already the marketing material ready. They are really fantastic to work with. I think it's much easier working with distributors in uh, Latin America or South America than here in the United States. It's a commitment. I mean, it's, it's uh, I would almost uh, compare the commitment of distributors in Latin America with the Japanese guys, because the Japanese guys is the same way. They really want to sell your devices. Where um, sometimes here in the United States, it depends who you're working with there, um, they have um, almost two many devices to sell for one sales guys and if your device doesn't really generate the big revenue they may have no interest really selling your devices so there is um the lack of commitment here in the u.s what i see in compared to latin america interesting what about now that we're speaking about distributors uh any tips on how to find a distributor in latin america um, what I typically do, I going to trade shows. There, there's uh, many trade shows, including, I mean, one of the biggest is uh, uh, one in Germany, typically in November. This is the biggest trade show, and you can actually find there. I mean, you're getting connection. And if I have a specific market in Latin America or South America, I'm looking for trade shows, and then I'm visit there and finding there my distributors. Or are using a connection? I mean, I always can ask your CEO if they know somebody because they have the experience with other companies and they might help you to finding your right distributor. Okay. What about regulatory approval or market clearance in the region? In what specific countries have you been involved in selling medical devices? 
Um, I, I have sold pretty much uh, almost in every country in uh, Latin America and South America. And I have to say this, most markets are very easy. What include uh, clearly Colombia, Chile, uh, Peru. They are really easy to work in. Most Latin uh, markets are very easy. Also, Mexico is still very easy. There's a couple markets that are very difficult from a regulatory agreement. And one of the main uh, most difficult markets is Brazil. And sometimes I have to say, do I really want to sell to Brazil? I mean, it makes me nervous. I mean, going to the regulatory approval process, dealing uh, with the uh, site inspection, it's, in my opinion, sometimes not worth dealing with this one. But overall, I mean, the market uh, approval or let's see the registration of your device in most countries can be done within a couple of weeks. And this is the thing, I mean, from a registration or a sales point for uh, as advice for a lot of sales and marketing people, yeah, they want to sell something, but you also have to calculate how much time it's take to register your product. I mean, there are pro- uh, countries in this world where the registration project takes over a year. So, so let, let me uh, maybe give a little bit of background. So when you have regulatory approval is one thing, but you typically have to register your device in a certain country. For example, there's a couple countries in the Middle East, in, including Kuwait, where the registration pro, uh, process take about a year. That means when you actually start the paperwork to get your device in a specific market. And where I say Latin America, I mean the registration uh, project. I mean, I typically working them with the distributors together. They do this actually for you, and it's take just a couple of weeks. And it comes back what I'm saying: the commitment of the distributors or salespeople to really sell your devices. They put the best effort in to really bring the devices on the market, and they're working hard to get this done in a couple of weeks. Yeah, there's also the issue of not having the registration under the distributor's name which is a tricky thing to do in some countries because they don't allow a foreign company to have their name on the registration certificate. Well, the, yeah, yes, there, there is a thing. I mean, it's uh, yeah, you have to be careful what you're doing. I mean, there is, in general, you would have an independent person as your uh, uh, rep in certain countries register your devices, but then you have to have, uh, a second person to do this or you trust your distributor to doing this. So in the end effect, I mean, whoever your importer is, that's what you need to choose. I mean, I wouldn't say I have a, a preference to do this one. Um, a lot of people believe if the importer is also your distributor, you would give them too much power, especially if you don't like them, if you want to change this one. So the whole registration pro- project have to start from the beginning. Yes, that's that's a concern. But my point of view is, I mean, you pick your distributor because you want to trust them because they're selling your device. If you don't trust them in the first place, don't work with them. There have to be some trust. I mean, you need to trust the people you're working with. Also, if you do your due diligence right, you should not have an issue with your distributor. And that's another problem I see with some companies. They don't always do their due diligence properly. So at the beginning of their relationship with the distributor, everything is rosy and everybody is happy. And at the end of the uh, year, uh, they realize that the distributor didn't meet its sales goals. And and also the distributor uh, is underfunded uh, and it didn't really have the coverage it claimed that he had in the country. And then you have to switch or, or the company has to switch distributors and then the company is stuck. Uh, because it let the shooter register the product under 
uh, the distributor's name. And then the distributor doesn't want to transfer the registration certificate to another competing distributor. You're absolutely right. This comes to the, your due diligence, but you should do this as a company. Regardless, if you're working with your contract manufacturer, if you're working with your distributor, it's important that you build your relationship. I mean, you need to visit them. I mean, you need to see their location. You need to see their organization chart, who is involved in this one. What is the connection? I mean, this is all part of of your business and not just going there, finding somebody and uh, save a couple thousand dollars on an airfare. Okay, Armin. So what about demand generation? Have you been involved in the strategies to make end users buy your product? Well, I mean, the demand generation is the interesting things from a sales and marketing point. Um, I always say it, if you're selling medical devices, a medical device is not an Apple iPhone. So you have a certain uh, percentage of people who are sick who need your device. And this is what it is. I mean, and then it comes to, comes to a point, if you have competitors, then you actually have your whole competition. I mean, how much market can you generate? But in the end effect, the demand is always the same. The question is how many other people are in the market and how can you sell this? How can you work with your distributors? Why do you think they are better than other distributors? Why can they work for you? But the demand is there. There is no doubt. And this is this is always this 100% on how much market share can you get. I mean, um, that's why I mentioned in the beginning uh, about VesaFlow. We are a company, we're developing devices but are not existing on this market. So we typically getting already 100% demand with this device. So other companies who just copying other people's um, devices start with this whole sales and marketing effort, demand generation, I mean, it becomes a marketing nightmare to, to do this. But if you have an innovative device, you have your 100% market share. All right. What about pricing, Armin? Some people say that Latin America is a very price-sensitive region. Would you agree with that statement or not? Well, I, I would say from a pricing point of view, um, the and this comes also back to the uh, reimbursement and pricing. Uh, I believe Latin America from a pure sales price is lower than the United States and Europe. However, you have to see this also from your uh, value. If I have or if I need a huge sales organization in the United States where my fully loaded sales people cost me three to four hundred thousand a dollar a year, and then I using a, a really effective distributor in Latin America, my profit is still higher than in the United States. So so a lot of people just go from a revenue, how much can I get? I mean, I always have a problem with the revenue. I mean, if I have a huge Let's say I have $10 million revenue and I make $1 profit and I have $5 million revenue and make a $1 million profit. For me, I would go with a $5 million revenue. But I'm not working on Wall Street. So from this point, I have a different view of this one. And that's the thing. I mean, if the larger companies are typically going more for the higher revenue, I actually looking actually really more on a cost-effective thing. And this is where my pricing or reimbursement come in place. If I can sell easily, if my devices sells, sell very fast, because I have the right distributor in the place who really want to sell my device, where my device maximal stays six months on a shelf, my um, profit is much higher than in other countries. All right. Have you had issues with reimbursement in Latin America? Have you been involved in dealing with the government to get your device approved by the healthcare system in a country? Um, I have to say that I'm not a reimbursement 
expert, but I also know from a reimbursement point of view that uh, Latin America is lower than um, the United States or Europe, where Europe is typically also higher than the United States. But again, it comes whole uh, with my whole pricing strategy or my profit, I can re-engine. Um, again, when my reimbursement, let's say it's from is 20% less than the United States, but when I can sell my devices very cost-effective, having the right distributor in place, um, there is barely any shipping cost to Latin America. Everything is very fast. I still would uh, make more profits than with a higher reimbursement here in the United States. Ideal, I'm looking for uh, or selling for devices who already have a reimbursement code. All right. Are there any other areas we haven't mentioned that we should cover here? The the only thing what I what I can think about is this whole import uh, export tax if there's any VAT and depends how you structure your company this is reimbursed right away so there wouldn't be any tax issues and this is pretty much else what I can think about I mean this is this also important where certain countries in this world also asking for import tax what you have to calculate in your revenue or profit. Okay, another question is, what model most of the companies you've been involved with had in Latin America? Did they have a proactive and well-thought-out strategy where they created a market access plan for each country they were planning to enter in the region? Or did they have an opportunistic or reactive approach where they waited for a distributor to contact them? Um, I actually had a proactive approach where I contacted or get actually to uh, the distributor. So I did not start it from a company with a, from a marketing and sales. We want to get in the market and this is our strategy plan because it's typically not working. So I did actually the opposite. I actually talked to distributors, was listening to them. What is the best access market? Which market to go first? Where is the best reimbursement? Where is the best pricing? How can we really work with the distribution channels? Is my distributor already in this market? Do they have the access to the buyers? Do they have the access to the strategic buyers? Because this is an important thing. For me as a U.S. company or a European company, sitting here and trying to make a market access in Latin America without knowing the logistics doesn't work. So you that, again, it comes back to this um, business relationship with your distributor, trusting them, <clears throat> understanding the local markets, because you, can, you cannot uh, translate uh, the U.S. culture to Latin America, it is different. And we don't know this, and they know this. So basically, you rely on your business partner. And this is a very, very important thing for everybody who want to conduct uh, business in any foreign country. We need to understand their culture. We need to understand how they work. We cannot translate our marketing strategy in, in any foreign country. That's why we're failing. Okay. So what's your experience with corruption or bribery in the region in light of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, FCPA? Um, I personally have not been involved in this one because I'm not a direct salesperson. I typically using my distributors and I think they have connection. I have no idea if there's corruption or bribery. And in a medical device field, I think it's typically very clean. I mean, we're talking about the life of people and everybody want to help. So I don't have any experience of this way. Excellent. So do you have any final thoughts or recommendations for our listeners? 
what, what I have talked about basically was uh, a combination or of the best practices what I have learned over the years. Um, let me uh, summarize everything, finding the right market, finding the right distributors. Um, you have to work, when you bring a device on the market uh, in Latin America, in America, find the right business partner, in this case, your distributor, work with them, understand their market, understand their strategy, and trust them. I mean, this, this is the biggest thing what you can do. I mean, find the right business partner, trust them, and understand their market and work with them. Not just going into this market and say, this is my way I want to do, this is my uh, revenue number, this is this and this, you will fail. It's a trust issue in finding the right partner. This is my biggest advice or my lesson what I have learned to do. Good. I have a question that just occurred to me, Armin. It is in regards to having a local agent in a country. Besides a local distributor, some companies choose to have an agent that works locally to represent their interests in country. So what do you think about this model? Well, it, it's possible. But then my question is, then you have, you have the same thing. So basically, if you have a local agent, and the reason why you're choosing a local agent is because you don't try trust your distributor to manage them. Um, can you trust your local agent? This is the same thing. Is your local agent managing the distributors? And I heard, have heard this uh, f- Many, many times that companies want to have the local agents to managing a distributor. My answer to this one is clearly no, don't do that. Nobody want to be managed or controlled. If you bring a, a person to control to your distributor, it doesn't work. They will work less. It's got, I mean, the, the point is your distributor want to make money. If they cannot sell your device, there's nothing what you can do. So again, a distributor want to make money if they having your stock, I mean, they're buying this one. If they cannot sell it, probably nobody can sell it. So bringing a, a third person into this model, I would not suggest this. Okay, makes sense. So moving along, Armin, what major trends do you see in Latin America that are relevant to our discussion today? Uh, yes, I would say over the last 10 years, the Latin American market is or becoming the, uh, a growing market. Um and a reason for this one is why it's a growing market, because the biggest market like uh, U.S., Japan, and Europe are pretty much stuck. There's not so much grow anymore. I mean, the revenue or a profit is still significant, but we also have to look in uh, in different markets where we can access um, the market very easy. And Latin America is clearly uh, one of the uh, fastest growing market in the world right now, besides China. Great, Armin. So do you have any final more comments before we finish our episode today? Well, the final start is, I mean, if you want to do business in Latin market, work with the people, understand the people, don't get uh, in this market that you know everything. I mean, it's it's really be, uh, try building a friendship, working with the people and trust them. That's my opinion. But you should do this regardless in which market you're going. You should not be demanding too much. I mean, just go in, listen to the people, listen to your partner and understand what's going on and start a really um, relation or a business relationship on trust. Thank you so much for being in our podcast today, Armin. It's been a delightful conversation. Thank you so much, Julia. It was my pleasure joining you and I hope so everything is well. Bye. Take care.